When the credits start rolling, but the movie keeps haunting you. Before, after. Then it's time to tune in to Dismembering Horror. We'll talk about what worked and also what didn't. We'll dissect every aspect. Maybe someone we shouldn't. He turned out to be a completely unreliable asshole. Take it away, boys. And take it away we will. Hello, Tim. Hello, Ryan. And hello, everyone. Thanks for being here. Welcome to Dismembering Horror. And I'm stopping myself from saying the usual intro that we are used to because our new fancy intro just did the legwork for me. And now I don't know what to say here. Uh, you, you already said everything you need to say, Ryan. You said hello to me. The most important <laughs> thing. Okay, then. <laughs> Uh, then the next most important thing, uh, saying hello to you all listening again. Thanks for being here. Well, I could say she doesn't specify for us, so I'll specify. Welcome to episode one hundred and seventy-three of Dismembering Horror. That's a lot. And today, that's a lot of episodes, Ryan. I just want yeah. to acknowledge that and point it out. It's true. It's like either in my mind, at, whenever I say it, I'm either thinking about it in terms of like the literal episode count or just like 173, you know, it becomes the moniker for the episode itself. Yeah. Um, I always apply those two meanings to it. Well, today, after our fun scream-filled double episode, we are back covering another new release film for 2022. We're just so far only talking about 2022 here. It's Texas Chainsaw One Word Massacre, the 50 year later in the chronology direct requel <laughs> to the 1974 classic the texas chainsaw two words massacre texas so they so for for 2022 they made chainsaw one word and dropped the the and then boom <laughs> they're really uh they're really going for it here yeah. All right. Well, anything you did want to catch up on before we guess do jump into the trailer here? Man, I'll tell you what. Not really. Life Great. is life is weird, you know? The world is weird. Um, yeah. All of those fun things, but uh, you know, look, I'm excited to be back. Yeah. Here it's at least reliably weird. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> this break was an interesting experience. And we're still navigating getting kind of back into the swing of it uh, with the podcast and everything. And but, you know, it's cool. It's like bigger and better things, right? Like just trying new stuff out, getting the word out, all that. It's fun. So hello, everybody. (laughs) Welcome back. We're so happy to have you. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it was kind of almost like an in-between episode, even though our last episodes were a we're back episode. But now it's yeah. just you and me again. It feels more official somehow. Right, exactly. Cool. All right. Well, I'll second all that. And with all that said, let's just let's dive into it. Let's start chainsawing it apart. Here we go. <laughs> the trailer for from this fine year of 2022, <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So, Harlow is a ghost town. We have a vision for this place. All it needs is young blood. I don't want to live here. This is a chance for people to start fresh somewhere. Somewhere safe. 
Hey guys, you should see this. What are you doing in our house? You really shouldn't be here. This is Hardesty. Sally, I'm afraid your old friend's back. All right. Well, so our ratings per our rating system, which is Tim and I talking to ourselves. Tim, would you tell yourself to avoid stream, rent, or buy Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Well, we streamed it on Netflix. Um, I feel like that, oh man, you know, (laughs) I've got a, I've got a fair number of like qualms, I guess with this movie, but it, it is just enough fun and there's some pretty intense like gore and like, you know, sort of the, the yell, yell factor for me, I guess you would call it. Those were enough that I would give it a rent. I'm just thinking of there's that first distinct one where Leatherface bends, is it the guy's or girl's like arm backwards? Like the, the cop? It, the cop's arm back in the <laughs> yeah. ambulance? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Once that sort of, we we established that that's where we're going to go with this, I, I kind of felt like, yeah, it's worth a, it's worth a rent to me. Interesting. I think I'm, um, I don't know where I'm at right now in my, or at least where I was at last night, maybe accurately in my movie going uh, <laughs> desires. I only wanted it to be over. Uh, I would, even though I know I'd want to watch this out of curiosity, just like I want to watch all the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies I haven't seen. I haven't seen any since the sequel to the, was it the, um, oh God, the, I don't the, know. Like, it's you know, such a mess. The, the the prequel one with Arlie Ermy. Um, oh God! I don't even been know a... if I saw that one. I think was um was Jessica Beale in one of them? She was the name I was looking for. Yeah. So not since the back to back the the Jessica Beale one and its prequel, which was a direct prequel to that one. Have I seen any? Okay. So I know there's a bunch since then. There's Leatherface. There's this like Chainsaw 3D. I think there's one more. I can't keep it straight. anyway we're back to it with this one and i was saying even though i know i would just knowing me i was gonna see it at some point uh at this i don't know just for what it was too i only wanted to not be watching it so i mean the accurate rating i would tell myself for that is to avoid it wow really had a terrible time watching it i i will mention the gore was good for sure but it it just made me that much sadder as to all that wasn't working about it. Well, and maybe don't you yeah. think so? I would, I would want to know from your perspective, more importantly, what you love so much about the original. Yeah. Yeah. And well, in order I, to contextualize why this one sucks for you. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, that's 
that's largely how I, yeah, I mean, of course you can't not compare it and think in terms of what would I want to see from a, a, a sequel slash a spiritual successor, all that. Um, well, I feel like that just gets into everything and in both what worked and what didn't work. So maybe we'll save it okay. for then. Um, yeah, I feel like it'll segue g- good then. So for now, uh, <laughs> all right, we're starting off with um, the re- it's rare Tim and I deviate this month. The reason, much. here's the thing. The reason that I even bring that up is because I think you and I have very different opinions of the original. I, okay. I, I could quite honestly take or leave the original. I'm not. I think there's cool stuff in it, but I don't love it. Like, it was never one that I was like, oh, yeah. All right. So, I mean, yeah. I, I God, it's so funny. We were just talking about Scream in the last episode in Toxic Fandom, and now I'm just going to sound like one of those fans. I swear, <laughs> like, I'm... <laughs> It's fine. It's not the original isn't ruined for me. You know, it's not like that at all or anything like that. I never think in those terms, honestly. Right. So I'm just I don't know. I just have plain defense on myself now that I'm not I don't know the worst maybe a toxic fan. But if I didn't like this and think it's bad and of course can't help and think of terms. Anyway, I realized that because I was about to speak so high praise for the original. I truly consider it one of the all-time greats. You know, we recorded our sort of like, what are our favorite films that aren't the greats? Uh, little snippets for our socials and mentioned Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The original as a great. Um, it is not just horror film wise, but my favorite like cut to black end frame moment of any movie. Oh, okay. Like, I can't think of, I don't know. And a lot of times I think of what good horror, not not a thing that good horror can be doing or that I think is unique to horror or thrillers in a lot of sense is, um, you listeners can't see me right now, right now, but rather than a roller coaster of ups and downs that, that um, films can do, horror and thrillers, as I just said, they can just start at the bottom and just go up and up and up and up until they reach some sort of pinnacle, you know? And that's what just this, the original embodies for me uh, is that trip into hell that you just only feel sicker and sicker and more disturbed. And that end moment of this, that chainsaw roaring and, Leatherface wildly swinging it. It's there's just so something. Just it's just so raw and animalistic, and I don't know. It's it's the most the most powerful kind of the the level of most power a film can emit at all for me. You know, in just sort of how not not what the feeling is, but just how much feeling a movie can give you. You know, but something. Something that's so inexplicably like unique to the medium too that you can't do in any other medium. I just love it, love it, love it. I don't know. So there's some of just maybe the why it's so important to me, but I don't know. Does that answer enough of what you're asking? Because then I have the more specifics about why I think the original works that I could save or not. Yeah, I would save it. I I, I think I I get what you're what you mean. I mean, in, it's sort of an essence thing. Like it it occupies an essence, or it uh it. Yeah, occupies. Is that that how you would say that? Occupies. Uh, It embodies an essence that is not matched in a lot of ways by... uh, It's very unique to itself. So 
I get that. I will say like the first time I saw it, probably, you know, high school, whatever, just put on, you know, the DVD or videotape, watched it in the living room, you know, on the TV across the room from me. I was kind of like, cool, huh? kind of just like a slasher. I don't know, whatever. But then the more I saw it, maybe the bigger screens I got to watch it on and just, I don't know, I became That's just to see all that it was doing more and more. So when I say like that end moment, I can also refer to it as like this I saw it at um, a screening at, you know, right by you, the um, Vista Theater. That's mm-hmm. like one of my all-time favorite movie-going experiences is seeing this film in theaters. Okay. I can get behind that. I, I That makes a lot of sense, honestly, because I've never seen it on a big screen. I've only seen it at home, and I think I've only watched it maybe three times. So, you know, just different. It also is just a taste thing at the end of the day for me, like I just, it's not, I think there's cool stuff in it, but generally speaking, it's not the style of horror that I tend to like the most. So whatever. So this one, you know, I didn't have, I wasn't really comparing it to anything. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, whatever. I, I almost started off just being like, like when it first started and I was kind of okay with, you know, I don't know, before it, I was really kind of tuning out, I was ready just to sort of chalk it up like how I did the Wrong Turn remake we reviewed, where I was like, <laughs> I like it more. They should have just not called it a Wrong Turn movie, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I agree with that. Kind of had those feelings with this one. Um, but anyway, we've we got to get to our, our summary here. So you want to give us a quick okay. summary? Sure. 40 some odd years later. 45 years later, whatever it is. Um, a group of teenagers slash, uh, what would you call them? Um, Gen, Gen Z. No, they're Gen Z, right? So some Gen Zers have bought up a bunch of the property in Main Street, Harlow, Texas, which is the uh, town in which the aforementioned Texas Chainsaw Massacre of 1974, I think, happened. And when they get there, um, they're putting on some sort of big event. I think they're trying to, they're basically trying to, to through social media and such, uh, promote the town as a new bastion of like, I don't know, art, art and, and industry and commerce and blah, blah, blah for their, their peers. And so they have bought up a bunch of the property. And then I think they're, they're, the idea is that they're going to bid off properties for other uh um entrepreneurs who want to open shops in in lovely harlow middle of nowhere texas sounds like a great plan and it's not a great plan because one of the (laughs) (laughs) properties is still occupied by a elderly woman and her son and lo and behold it just so happens to be leatherface and his mom and when they force or, his uh, mom, not mom, but <laughs> well, what would she be? I don't know. She was the. Uh, it, it's a not. I was going to say nursery. What's it called? Uh, like a boarding. Oh, an orphanage. Yeah, orphanage. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So She's the house mother. <laughs> sure. His the, the matron. I don't know. His caretaker. S- yeah, so they 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 oust her. They say, "Yo, we bought this property. We we've, we've got the deed. You're you you were supposed to vacate all that stuff." And this causes her to have an episode and ultimately die in the cop car ambulance, whatever you want to call it. 
um, in Leatherface's arms and Leatherface, uh, you know, he, he reestablishes his, uh, desire to chainsaw people because he's lost his, his mom or whatever you want to call her. And, um, you know, and he turns his, his, uh, (laughs) his anger toward everybody, but in particular, the, uh, the group of, of young Gen Zers who have, uh, caused all of this. And so really then it's just a romp. It's a romp through the town and he gets his chainsaw out of hiding and he kills a lot of people pretty gruesomely. And, uh. I guess in the 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 interesting subtext, or I don't know if it's subtext so much, but side uh, story or backstory of the presumably the lead of the movie, which we we'll, we can talk about later, is that this the the younger sister of one of the main people who has established this whole plan of of revitalizing this town has been kind of dragged along, but she is the victim of a school shooting that had happened somewhat recently, it seems. And so we see a lot of this through her eyes and through the trauma of that, and then having to survive this new trauma. And she does. So good for her. Nobody else does though. Tim, that was the end. (laughs) That was an excellent summary (laughs) I, Thanks. I, you know, I've really been working hard on these. I, uh, I still, it, as as no fault of your own, though, I couldn't just help thinking. I don't care. I don't care. I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> oh, I guess I left out a pretty a pretty important aspect. <laughs> um, the sole survivor of the original 1974 uh, event uh, has been looking for said Leatherface for the past forty whatever years and she is a marshal or or cop of some sheriff something like that in a in a nearby town i guess and uh she gets the call he's back and she shows up in the third act to uh exact her revenge right legendary it doesn't work out well for her <laughs> the le- legendary horror icon sally hardesty <laughs> Right, sorry, who's, I'm who's just... not played by the original actress because that actress has had passed away in real life. So we have a new actress who was in Mandy. So that's cool. That was a uh, she wasn't that. That was snark and sarcasm on my part too. I'm, uh, I don't think he picked up on it. I never do. Um, <laughs> great. I'm gonna be. I'm, this is this. Uh, I'm always forgiving everyone and going through guilt trips of like I hate talking bad about these uh, these films. Uh, any any bad films, but I don't know, man. This is our. This you're is, al- this is you're our allowed space. to not like something. It's just like I'm just how okay. These filmmakers are in this room with me. Have they given me permission? Say, hey, man, tell us what you think of it. It's fine. It's cool. <laughs> like it's. I don't know. It's weird. I don't know. <laughs> Well, I mean, it is what it is. It's like you got to take it with a grain of salt, I guess. All right, and, and, and so do they. Yeah, they could just be like, "Whatever, guys, we don't care." You know what? Chances are, they'll never hear our opinion. Yeah. All right. Great. Well, whatever. We're here now, so let's do it. All right. 
<laughs> well, well, what what I do like is that we can accentuate the positive. At least we have that much. So let's go do that in our first sure. section here. What worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? <laughs> <laughs> it worked like a charm, Smith. <laughs> what worked? What I think more and more in just any of these horror movies we're watching, Tim, and despite how I may feel about the movies as a whole, I just got to say, like, actors, you're doing so much, like, to put yourself to these these real-life horrific places. Like, kudos, kudos, great job. Like, you brought it. My, I tip my hat to you all. Okay. I, I appreciate that one. What else? What else did you? What worked though, Ryan? I mean, what worked for you? <laughs> so I mean, yeah, <laughs> Am I, I gonna pry anything else out of yeah, you. Yeah, I feel like I could just like list the obvious stuff off. I already mentioned quickly the gore. Uh, it, I mean, it was just like that kind of gore where when that kind of uh, uh, the their their main buddy who shows up, who's like the secondary tier character, uh, who shows up, gets killed on the bus. She's getting like pulled out of the bus or like shoved out of the bus. Anyway, she gets like a mid torso uh, chainsaw slice. And yeah. it just looked so real and seamless that it just sort of like my brain just did a thing of like, there was just, there was just no distinguishment between like, oh, that's how it would really look or not. That's just an effect. There's no questioning whether there's CG or not there. It was just entirely seamless. So, uh, yeah, effects like that, truly incredible. Yeah, I, I think, I guess I already said this, but it is the the biggest strength of the movie for me. Is that like, if you just want to see some crazy kills and really gruesome gore, yeah, this movie, the, it delivers on that. The um, The first kill, the arm break, is... You know what's great about it is that you, 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 the way that they set it up, you know what's coming in that once Leatherface grabs the cop's arm, you go, oh, he's going to break that arm. There's just enough time for you to like have that thought. But then they do something that I think is really kind of setting a, a, a nice, tone for the rest of the movie because they're they're not just breaking the arm they break the arm it's gruesome it's graphic but then he stabs the dude in the neck with his own broken shards of arm bone right that was good right so so kind of doing that like as the first kill that i think in the past a lot of the time would be the the version of a kill that's upping the ante from previous kills in the movie but they start with that one and essentially are just saying like strap in cuz we're going to just show you it all and and get crazy so i i quite like that um partially because you know right away that if it's <laughs> if it's not for you it happens early you could you could turn it off <laughs> but if if you are into it in the weirdest way, I guess that I tend to be. Um, I was like, oh man, where are they gonna go? Like, what what are they gonna do to continue to keep us in with this level of gore? 
but I think they did it. The knee, the like the knee break, the the hammer to the head, uh, the 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 meat cleaver to the jaw, the the one you described cutting a woman in half through the torso. Um, what are the uh, uh, just the cutting off of the quote unquote mom's face? That whole sequence is is well done. I mean, ultimately, to me. And I said this while I was watching it, the look and the kind of the content of of the world is really well done to me. Like I enjoyed all the kills. I enjoyed the sort of the set pieces in so far as like I thought they were interesting. I thought they were filmed well. I thought it was colored well and presented well. It professionally and like I enjoyed all of that but at the end of the day it kind of ends there for me so I guess that's just to say that at least those things were working <laughs> because man if they weren't you'd be in deep trouble <laughs> <laughs> so that was just your whole spiel on this section what worked you're done you're covered <laughs> kind of um, yeah, kind of. No, I mean, there's other, there's a couple story things that I liked. Well, want to knock those out? Sure. Okay, so I had this thought. So, um, right when Sally shows up, so she shows up right at the end of the second act. And I paused it because I was like, where are we in the movie? We're just now getting her on the scene. And so it turns out it's almost exactly the movie's only 80 like well, what's the actual runtime did you look 81 minutes i figured it was 80 but let's call it 80 for the sake of argument close enough so you essentially have four 20 minute sections that's what this movie is first act is 20 minutes the second act is 40 minutes third act is 20 minutes like right so Sally shows up on in town ready to to battle it out with Leatherface at minute 57. So as close as you can get to the quote unquote uh all is lost or dark dark night of the soul if you're using the who was that uh uh Pressfield um save the cat the save the cat terminology Sidfield But anyway, it's the, the end of the second act. However you want to frame it. I had this thought when she says she has this moment where she's standing in front of Leatherface and it was almost I th- I thought to myself this this shouldn't necessarily work in the context of the movie because she's shown up late and she has a chance to kill this guy that she's been looking for for 40 whatever years and she doesn't do it. She's holding the gun being like, do you remember me? Tell me that you remember me. Give me that like moment of recognition. And he kind of doesn't. And I realized, I think what the writers are were trying to accomplish, and I, and I actually, I think they did accomplish, is that they're putting a mirror up to this desire for recognition with her and her trauma. And that is up against this Gen Z trope of, I mean, maybe it's not a trope. It's just the world we live in. We live in this digital desire for recognition, TikTok, Snapchat, 
Instagram, all of those things are the the goal with engaging in those things, the way that construct is is set up is to be validation and recognition seeking. You're looking for likes, you're looking for views, you're looking for shares, right? You need that recognition. And so I was like, oh, that's actually pretty cool. That's a that's a cool, smart um kind of duality or yeah duality of these characters you have the old generation and her whole life has revolved around this moment and in that moment she's asking for him to give her recognition and all of the kids i'm calling them kids like i'm some ancient dude but sometimes i feel like i am generationally um but all of the gen zers that's their life too and in both cases the desire for recognition, the desire for that in the face of this presumably unstoppable force that is Leatherface costs them their lives. And I was like, I kind of dig that. Like, I dig the way that that's built up and that in that moment, because it does subvert the trope of not killing the killer when you have the chance. And so I was like, that's cool. It, did it make the whole movie work? No, but at least it was something. It wasn't so vapid and gratuitous of a of a movie where it's just let's just chop people up. So uh, hopefully, I'm not reaching in in my assessment of that 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 was <laughs> intentional. <laughs> I just I always want to say I don't know. Uh, uh, you probably have um. That take is probably an original observation on this film. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> I can, um, you know, I mentioned the the actors. I can I can specifically shout out like the by the end. I'll have you know if this was kind of a worked didn't work thing for me, but there were shots by the end that I thought the actor playing Leatherface, um, he he embodied the physique really well. There were some specific shots where he was running kind of in wide shots. And I'm like, okay, he has like the lumbering Mark Burnham. Yeah. He got the lumbering gate, right? Felt good. Now is, I I didn't look this up. Is he the same actor from the original movie? No, man, you do got to brush up on Texas chainsaw. I feel like you got to have your love affair with it in this lifetime, you know, cause that's, Gunnar Hansen is no is uh the original. Okay. And he wrote um I haven't read it, but he wrote it's apparently a really good book all on the making of, but Gunnar Hansen. Okay. Know his name, Tim. Know. Um Remember this name. Yeah, no. So he passed away, fortunately. Um Gotcha. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is like even further after the fact than the Halloween requel. I mean, we're just really stretching it now on, on you know, these original players getting up there. Um, yeah. So, Let, so do we have anything else good to say about this then? <laughs> yes. Uh, I will say, you know, just as far as answering a question of like, okay, well, the what if where leather Leatherface is still around, where is he, where he's been up to? I totally like just fine and bought. Yeah. He's living in the closest thing to some kind of family unit. He has in hiding in a, a pseudo town. Like I bought that. I, him just left with this maternal figure. Cool. Good. Great. I was down with all that. Um, the, uh, Here's some things. This this will kind of segue for us in in a way. Where 
some some very small aspects that were working in the sense of like what I would want from a Texas Chainsaw Massacre requel remake, whatever. With so much like it comes down to capturing a sort of spirit tone feel thing, right? Was the imagery and some shots of the dead sunflowers specifically? I love that. I absolutely love that. And the uh, the opening, I it's I hesitate to call it music, just like the original soundtrack of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where it's almost like a, a bed of sounds. Yet it is mm. the score. But I just thought the sort of like coming up from black over the first titles or whatever, like that soundscape slash score, like that was, that captured it, that was doing it. And then there was this, yeah, one specific shot of the sun, dead sunflowers kind of in a nice close-up where I, I mean, and now maybe this is our segue, but like if those sounds with like that image were just like it for an opening shot, like, or just something towards the beginning, kind of like the dead armadillo at the beginning of the other one and or mm. uh, sorry it's the you know the 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 decomposing corpse at the beginning of the original one and all this stuff. I don't know it was like actually getting at that vibe and feel so it was cool to see I think what I would have wanted exist if I had to pick one place where what I would have wanted from this film to exist where it does exist in this film it would be yeah sunflower imagery the openings music yeah I think that's fair I think you're right though the there are there are there are images or shots or you know various uh, various moments throughout that that do kind of encapsulate the f- certain feelings that i think i recall from the original but the movie itself never uh it doesn't quite feel like it's matching that so maybe that's a way to transition into why. In our next section, what did not work? It's not ready yet. It seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> so why the why? What is what why doesn't it why doesn't it work? Well, I guess kind of like what we we're doing more on why the original works so well. Mm. It's it it the original is all about like a descent into a nightmare and trapping you there. You know, like where it, it's so clearly obvious for me, like the original, like it's you don't have like a Laurie Strode character. Like it's not about that. The characters are forgettable in a way. It's not about relatable protagonist in a sort of character sense. It's an experiential relatability of, I am trapped with these people down to Sally at a certain point, this person just in this like wackadoo, just hell on earth situation of this dinner table scene, let's say. Right, right. <laughs> and having this, what looks like a, a, essentially a still living corpse sucking on my finger. Like that's one of the, probably the most <laughs> disturbing things in any movie ever and will always be, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, And then you just have the fact that the original, let's just say, you know, totally the polar opposite of this one 
did not rely on gore. Like you don't see any piercings or anything like that. It's all just sort of, you know, the feel of the hook going through the back of the back, the back mm-hmm. of the back that we don't see all that, you know, that's oft talked about with the original. Um, and then just stylistically too, just felt like such a strange departure. And maybe this is like, even if it's just not a Texas, te- Texas Chainsaw movie, just something that's not so much my taste unless it's like a really over the top, more sort of fun thing as far as that style of like in this one at the ending when she's re- uh, holding up the chainsaw for that final like smack up against Leatherface. It's just like this what felt for me like this totally ridiculous, unnecessary, just kind of like a hero moment, slow-mo shot that just, I don't know. It's just wasn't the kind of movie I'd want. I mean, I guess it's a ridiculous slasher, this movie. So maybe it is perfectly appropriate for it. But anyway, something you would not see in the original. And I mean, just, I guess, I don't know. Another way to highlight what I think the original is doing is a point to, I think I recommended it, but I'm a big, big fan of house of a thousand corpses. I think Rob zombie understands to a core what made not just the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre work, but Texas Chainsaw Massacre two, which they, they're has this whole other level of kookiness kind of that, that it's doing it's strangeness. Of as far as I mean, what you see as far as the first one in House of a Thousand Corpses is like again this descent into hell. It's nightmarish. You could kind of be like almost falling asleep and wake up. It, it gives that feel of like that disorientation, you know, mm-hmm. of being thrown into a nightmare. And I think a lot of that comes from a simplicity in the storytelling. Like it's just. You throw these group of kids, young people, into this situation. And any sort of, I mean, this is like, I mean, any sort of themes that uh, come out of it are just that much more powerful because they're just feel that much more, I don't know, grounded or like experiential. You know, it's just the experience of being with like, we aren't thinking when we're watching the original, oh, this is a family that's, uh, you know, been um, that's become irrelevant in their work because of automation of the meatpacking industry. But like that is what it's a story about, you know, and there's something in there. And we aren't necessarily going like, oh, you know, it's a story, you know, these these yuppies out of town, young people going into Hillbilly Central or whatever, deep Texas. Like, you know, I don't know. It's It's somehow letting us, like feel what that's all about and getting at something deeper without like this movie just hitting it over your head like <laughs> like as hard as he's hitting that guy in the head with the hammer in this movie that's what it felt like to me with this movie just beating in like everything that it was you know about like how many times did they say the word gentrification in it like Jesus Christ mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i there was a there's a part of me that almost felt like I was watching a mo- a totally different movie than a Ch- Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. And then somebody just said, oh, actually, let's just like give him a, ch- give the killer a chainsaw instead yeah. and call it a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. <laughs> right? That's what the wrong, yeah, like the wrong turn remake, which I liked way, way more, but same idea as far as. Exactly. So. Yeah, I don't know. There's, I don't know where to begin on like why I felt like it wasn't working. It, it, 
I guess kind of to your point, another way of saying it is that it felt really heavy handed. <laughs> yeah. Man. And it just was like, yeah, we get it. But there's little details. It's like, it's almost like, in a way, they they seemed like they were trying too hard to like hit all of the beats of a of a story that we're told you should hit. Right, like exactly, like, like in the in doing so, a lot of them almost didn't make sense to me. No, I mean exactly. Like, did we need the fact that that we had, did we need a character who survived a school shooting? Dude, I mean honestly, that whole thing i just was like what are we doing <laughs> right? what are we talking about how i guess if if we have to really think hard to figure out how that's relevant to the story if it's just if it's just that okay this character has this backstory it better inform where the experience of this movie leads to for that character and really, to me, the only moment that it even suggested that it was informing that was when she shows up with the rifle at the end. But then I'm like, okay, so then are, is the message that we're pro-gun? Well, here's... It, it just becomes muddy and murky and weird and, like, confusing to me. Yeah, it's... Yes, agreed. <laughs> right, no, like, same deal with at the ending of... If we're just talking about, you know, trying to... Is it making a point or is it trying to say something about something like same with Sally's trajectory of like telling her at the end, you have to kill him. Otherwise, it's going to haunt you forever. I'm like, OK, so that is like the movie just saying like we should kill our murderer. Like what? Like what? Um, to but- me, what the, the attempt is that we're they're saying it's a metaphor for trauma. Yeah, well, but. Uh, that and that's that's fine from a writing point of view if you want to start there but i think it's it's always a dangerous prospect to have characters saying the metaphor out loud yeah <laughs> you know well, like it feels weird well as far as um i wanted to say more just to on like the we were asking where did this idea of her surviving a school shooting come come from it almost felt like it could have organically come up in the moment when we learn about it, where I mean, like maybe in the writing of it, where it's sort of they're playing on the idea of like where they're figuring each other out, her with you know the the deep state Texas boy, and they're kind of getting mm-hmm. to know each other. So it's like it was almost written. It felt like in the moment as she's surprising him with like oh like right as soon as he starts to try to peg her as like you know privileged da 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 like you haven't seen any you know bad thing in your whole life she's basically like i survived a shooting actually so it just felt like a way just to in that moment allow him to see her a certain way but you don't need to like go that heavy handed or deep or not not deep but you know just um (laughs) obvious I, i guess yeah um all you need was just sort of if as long as they just kind of feel like real people and are given like a little something just it could just be in their performance as long as they just interact enough like you you get some sort of back and forth or is it so bad if we actually do you know do sit on his thought of his accusation of her a little bit like it just, just felt i don't know so weird unnecessary and so it's not just like that giving them that actual background too um as far as taking me out of the story and the characters, but 
also just in the way where, yeah, I don't know. I just keep coming back to the idea of like, it's all just too much, whether in style or writing characterizations, like the conflict that sort of sets us off, sets us off of, oh, does she have her deed or not? We actually have the deed. Like, I thought that was all that I needed and actually pretty interesting when you have um, the, the girl's name, um, Sarah, the our main girl. She says to uh, the old lady, uh, trying to get their names here, Mrs. Ginny Mick, MC. She tries to say in a really like polite way, oh, well, maybe you can just show us your deed and then da da da, you know? And it's like a way that, you know, it's kind of sounds gross what she's saying, like when you really feel it, but at the same time, it was enough where I could just buy that this was me or one of my friends or something like that, where, you know, you're trying to stay tactful, just bring it down to the brass tacks. It's all she has to do. And there's still enough like tension there. But then you had her buddy, the other, the, the main guy, just like out of nowhere and what seemed would seem totally out of character for uh Gen Z or trying to do good in the world, like flips out at this woman. Like what? Like, are you <laughs> like, I, I think that, I think that their justification was that he's seen this, uh, you know, the, the rebel battle flag, the, whatever that's called the, the stars and bars or whatever it is. Confederate flag. And that is so evocative for him to be like, you know what? Screw whoever's in there. Like, we we're not putting up with that anymore. And so his, his character, you know, intensity and motivation in that moment is driven by that. But if that's true, I didn't feel like the filmmakers made that point clear enough. Yeah. Cause like in the moment, it just feels like they're like, actually he kind of says it. He's like, you got to take that down before everybody shows up because it's a bad look or whatever he says. And that's it. Not dude, this is unacceptable for me as a, as a black person in America to see today anymore. And I'm really, really upset by it. Yeah. Cause if he had kind of gone there, I think we would have been like, yeah, I'm with you. And yeah, you, sh- you are justified in being wound up by it. But it's it's almost played off as like, I'm not cool with this. It just, and that's not enough. Right. It, it was that kind of winding up. Like, again, I was trying to, I definitely had that thought and being like, I know I'm not this person. I'm not going to relate the same way he's supposed to here. But it just felt like such a sort of forced escalation of we need to have her freak out here. What if we get her to the point where she has a heart attacks? It just felt like just, it was all this sort of cheap escalation to get there. That just did not work. Right. No, I totally agree. There's a lot of moments that just didn't feel. I don't know if the word like organic in their sort of progression maybe is the way to put it where I just, I didn't entirely believe people in a lot of the moments of like, of story conflict, not the fight scenes, like the fight scenes are fine, whatever, but the actual story conflict, how they address each other and how they kind of interact in those moments never really felt correct or human or believable. Like, for example, when the, that dude, I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, um, 
when he comes out and his jaw is hacked up and he's oh, still alive. Richter. Okay. <laughs> wow. That's a cool name. So when Richter comes out and he's hacked up and the and the the bank woman who gets cut in half ultimately, she sees that. Like she sees that he's been attacked. I guess you could maybe argue that she doesn't know that it was an attack, but he, I I don't know how you don't make that assumption. And she just gets back on the bus and kind of just sits there and is like everybody just like don't say anything. Be quiet. It's like, dude, uh, I know that like the story is needing you to stay there, but that's unacceptable. Somebody just got violently injured, presumably killed, and you're just like gonna not say anything about it. Well, no, like it was. Yeah. Wouldn't you get on the bus and be like, everybody, stop what you're doing. Everybody right now, we have an incredibly serious situation. I don't want people to panic, but we we need to sort this out right now and get ready to protect ourselves because something bad just happened. And none of that happens. And I get why from a, you know, I guess from uh, needing the story to go where it, it it's going to go, but find a better way to justify not panicking because i had to be like i guess maybe she's in shock and then that's an okay non-response because she doesn't know how to deal with it i guess i'm gonna fill in the blank i i just it's not good like if you're asking the audience to do that like come on my moment of that my equivalent moment of that was at the way 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 end when it's like cuts to it's the next morning after they went through this whole thing and they're driving away she makes they make like some kind of laughing quip to each other i'm like i know wait what come on like what (laughs) after you what you just went through like what is this movie trying to be anymore i just that may be one of my most critical qualms with film in general when there's like these intense experiences and then and then they just the characters just kind of carry on i'm like dude that's not how people that's not how the world works they saw, like, i mean do i have to like list what they just witnessed to like on <laughs> like think of it even if they didn't just watch an entire bus full of people that they were on get massacred by a crazed man in a chainsaw just take out that that happened and you had to have plenty to leave them speechless for the next two weeks, you know? Yes. It's, I'm, it's just, it's not acceptable. (laughs) I also, (laughs) I, and this is just me being hypercritical, I guess, but my immediate thought when they're, it's the, it's the next day and they're walking to the car was, Okay, well, the sun's at about 10 o'clock, you know, in the morning. Like, it's high enough for it to be, like, there's a fair amount of time has passed. Because the last time we saw them, it was the middle of the night or early morning. But it's still the nighttime, right? So let's say it's, let's even say it's 3 or 4 a.m. the last time we've seen them. Six hours have gone by and they're now just walking to their car. Like, and we're meant to believe that it's moments later. And I just, stuff like that annoys me. And then to your point, their demeanor suggests that a bunch of time has gone by enough for them to kind of 
be like, whoo, that was crazy. I guess I won't move here. All right. We're trying to keep these shorter now. So I'm just going to start running down what I have left. You stop me or I'll stop myself. If we go down. Sounds more. good. Um, yeah, kind of like everything we've been talking about, just little just story character things that totally took me out of it. You have, uh, with the moment Sally left them alone in the car, she seemed like literally the last person in the world who would ever do that to anyone based off of her previous experience. Um, right. uh, <laughs> the, um, I did not understand this is a little one and it was more just a, almost a question for you. Like I was just trying so hard to understand what Rutherford, what was his name? I just said Richter, the local guy. What was his reason for taking their keys? Like, didn't he just, he want, he said, I'm going to take, I'll take your keys and I'm only going to give them back. And if you show me your deed or prove that you have the deed, I just, what? Wouldn't he just want them out of there? I thought that is one of the stupidest contrivances I've ever seen. <laughs> okay, great. And then it made no sense. It's dumb. It's it's just not a it. It's literally the writers being like, "How do we get them to not just drive away?" Okay, have him take the keys. Why? Because he's mad. Yep. Okay, great. Why is he mad? I don't know. So Leatherface. I did not like that they called him Leatherface within this movie. It felt kind of the like Han Solo getting his name Solo moment, you know? Uh, sure, yeah. It just that's felt, fair. felt weird. Um, his, you know, I mentioned liking his kind of performance by the end, but mm-hmm. overall, in the kind of his more <laughs> his character moments, if you want to call it that for Leatherface, he didn't capture the way I always thought of Leatherface in the originals is like he's a big baby. And that just wasn't sure. at all captured in this one for me. There was a bit too much kind of, I don't know, intelligence or age or something behind him that felt weird. Hmm. I didn't like okay. his reveal. It just felt a little too haphazard or I was wondering if it like was really him or not. Like, I don't know. I thought just the way he even physically, I, I didn't maybe like seeing his face. I don't know. I thought the way that that was revealed, I was actually questioning of like, oh, it's actually... You know, it's this, usually a story where there's he's got his brothers around or whatever. I don't know. It could have been someone else. I don't know. Just didn't feel right at first. By the end, I was on board with their portrayal of Leatherface, but something at the beginning was throwing me off. Um, and just the fact that Sally, uh, this was my snide comment at the beginning, like Sally is not like Laurie Strode, like. We don't like Laurie Strode was enough of a character. Like we get a sense of who she was as a person in the original. And they, they followed through with that in these requills. Like, as I just said, like the, the characters in the original Texas Chainsaw, they aren't supposed to be, they, they're, they're not characters in the same regard. So no, it just mm-hmm. felt so weird to have this movie it, and to be far enough along in these requels of, I don't know where it just felt like it was taking a direct page from the Halloween reboot requel of bringing back Laurie Strode where it just as like, okay, that worked. So we're doing it with Sally and trying to make this big deal out of her. Like hold I don't know. Yeah. You could still have shoehorn. It's just so shoehorned in though. Yeah. And, and like I said before, she, she literally doesn't show up in the movie until, until the 50th minute of an 80 minute long movie. Like, so who, why? And then, and then she's, she's taken out 
pretty quickly anyway. So what's the point? What's <laughs> If you don't have her throughout the movie... See, here's what I really thought should have happened, in, it, 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 at least in some way. Integrate her character with whoever we're, we're presuming is the new sort of lead final girl, I guess, of this movie in some way or another. Like, let us understand what they have in common or or not. Uh, yeah. So that we can actually care about this experience. Because to me, ultimately, this movie was, if you're going to say that the main girl who survives and Sally are essentially the main characters... They have like half a moment together and they really they're living out two fairly different experiences in this movie. Why are those things not intertwined somehow? Like they're just presumably intertwined because they're both having to deal with the same killer? Like that's not enough. Yeah, I just don't like I don't like it. I know how stereotypical horror movie this is, but I actually would have liked something as simple as like Sally just passed away and now her granddaughter is just really curious to see where this traumatic thing happened. Like I, I really thought that they were related <laughs> it for, I was like, Oh, they're the grandchildren and they've, this is why they picked this town in the first place. Cause only in a horror movie sense, does that sound like not a smart thing to do, but honestly in a real life sense, <laughs> if this happened 50 years ago, I wouldn't feel right. any like threat to go to this old location, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so I don't know I, that that's all I would have needed. Um, yeah, it felt weird just making her a, a Lori light. And and you said she died right away when she got there, but she didn't. She somehow survived getting like a three foot hole cut into her. Like, yeah, no, she dies immediately after that. But the fact that she wouldn't be instantly dead from that was just so ridiculous to me. There are a lot of convenient like results Saves. in this movie. Yeah. You know, that I'm just like, and so, and a bunch of them, they kind of don't even show like the older sister is impaled and like, and like trapped and they make this big to do about like, you got to leave me because I'm stuck here and he's going to kill me anyway. Off screen, she gets out and shows up like saves the day again. And it's just like, dude, well, if you're, if you're setting up problems for your characters and then you're solving them off screen and never telling us how they did that. I don't care about that character. I want to know how they get out of their predicaments. That's what makes a character interesting. Not having them just show up like deus ex machina, <laughs> like save the day out of the blue because they happen to figure it out. And like, we don't know how she got out of there. We don't get to see that struggle. We don't get to see, all we got to see is her be like, like the worst trope of, of like, just leave me. Just save yourself and leave me. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, God. <laughs> All right. And what does that have to do with the school shooting? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> the school shooting. Um, it doesn't even work out when she grabs the gun to shoot him. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, whatever. I didn't like all the shoehorning in of the social media stuff. That felt like on the level to me of uh, the Banana Splits movie with the live streamers yeah. and that. The moment that that dude says like we're going to something about like we're going to cancel you or we're trying to cancel you bro I just was like you have officially like jumped the shark <laughs> like like now I feel like you're uh 
you're either insulting me, the viewer, or or you're just so deeply out of touch as a writer or whoever whoever's decision that was. It's it that is one of the worst lines in anything I've seen in a long time. Well, and to sum it up for me, uh, if you just think like, I don't know, just thinking about, again, this is the sequel to the original. The only thing that this was doing for me to connect it to the original was just the characters, the continuity of Leatherface and that, you know, that that same tragedy happened. Otherwise, it essentially did the opposite of everything else that made the original the original. And that to me is just yeah, it, flummoxing and frustrating. And if you're yeah. if you're not, I you know, granted, I haven't I don't haven't seen or have don't remember how all the other sequels pan out or where they take place exactly. But if you're going to this town fifty years later and not ending up at the house somehow, I think you've completely missed the mark of where this like the trajectory of where a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie should. Wait, hold on, Tim. That was our ending. That was our Marvel ending. Was Leatherface arriving at the original house? (laughs) That's not good enough. I'm sorry, it's not good enough. (laughs) I don't know. I I I don't (laughs) think that is okay. It was so funny because my experience when the at the end credits when the credits came up, aside from being like it's over now, um was I was so excited that Netflix usually cuts it off immediately with like shit flies on the screen being right. like, here's this next movie that's going to start playing in 1.2 seconds before you can even find the remote <laughs> control. I hate it. So yeah, that ticking time bomb of right. you better do something or else they're going to keep showing you so other I was, stuff. I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's so nice of Netflix to not have it. Oh no, that's because there's going to be some little fucking tag at the end. <laughs> Fun, like some <laughs> stupid Marvel. Te- Sorry, I like it works in the Marvel movies, but you know what I mean. How it's just sort of yep. helped come to uh, 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 be very common. <laughs> of everything well, has to be you're a just ongoing doing it to thing. do it. That's yeah. dumb. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. And no, that's not good enough. Sorry, threat- <laughs> threatening us with future ones. All right, I can leave <laughs> it with that for what did not work. But I do have some fun things of note that will give us some more to chew on. So should we get to that? Yes, we should. All right, here we go. Things of note. Things of note! (laughs) This should be interesting. That was fun, actually, how you mentioned the actor who played... Sally Hardesty, Olwyn Frey was in another movie we covered, everyone's favorite, Mandy. And when I looked her up, I liked she uh, played the Borg Queen in Star Trek First Contact. <laughs> that was fun. Wow. Uh, also, John Larroquette, the actor, known TV actor, he his debut was doing the opening narration of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and he came back for the opening narration of this one as well. Of... Night Court fame? Exactly, one of those. Wow. (laughs) So uh, I did reach out to a friend uh, after today before recording this whose favorite horror film, probably favorite film, is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Just to be like, I actually didn't explicitly say, have you seen the new one yet? But I said, Nick, I remember you telling me uh, this anecdote about the original 
once. So I have a fun original anecdote about the original film I wanted to share, courtesy of my friend Great. Nick. And then just as someone who's a huge fan of this film and finds Toby Huber fascinating, I wanted to share some observations of his that I think could help inform what makes Texas Chainsaw the original the thing that it is. That's what's sort of a, our discussion for the day, if you'll have it. Cool. So I remember Nick telling me that he had met someone who worked on the original film because Nick was a sort of Austin-based filmmaker for a while. Um, still filmmaker, no longer in Austin. But uh, I asked him about that and he reminded me about it. This is what he said. He said, oh yeah, she was the wife of the editor who also helped with some set decorating, if I'm remembering it right. I think she said that they were driving around, so it was like her with Toby Hooper, that they were driving around to farms asking if they could gather bones from dead cattle to use for creating like all the weird <laughs> bone art and furniture in the house. And then he said, cool. what, what, he said what she said that I just thought was so great and captured the very like, Texas indie spirit behind this all. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's like about like was this film's funded by mob mafia people. I don't know. Anyway, he said that she said at one point Hooper went up to a house alone, told them to wait in the car behind. And then when he came back, he just had a sack full of money. <laughs> and wow. it was basically like, all right, we could start shooting again. Kind of thing. <laughs> what? How bizarre. Um, Okay, so so to think more about like why the original is the original, I think this is some insightful stuff as far as you know where something's where a film's power c- comes from. A lot of the times has to do with how much the filmmaker cares about what it is they're dealing with, how much they're going through, whether that's something they're passionate about in a positive sense or something they're hurt or traumatized by, right? So this is some interesting insight into this Um, from my friend Nick. He said, one thing I've tried and mostly failed convincing people of is that the original Texas Chainsaw is heavily indebted to 2001 A Space Odyssey. I think if you watch them back to back, you'll see the similarities. They both start with the bones and monoliths, the, the desecrated grave. Then there's the journey to the moon Grandpa's grave, both explore humanity's relationship with technology, chainsaws, slaughter bolt guns, HAL relationship, both end with a transformative pseudo-psychedelic experience. A good trip for Dave, a bad trip for Sally, involving quick-cut close-ups of eyeballs. (laughs) The big difference between the two, apart from the obvious genre differences, is that 2001... Here's This is where I really thought was interesting. 2001 embodies the hippie optimism of the late 60s. Remember, that came out in 68. But Texas Chainsaw is the disillusioned aftermath of the failed hippie dream. Hooper has acknowledged that Kubrick was one of his idols, and he's also acknowledged that the failure of the hippie dream is a major theme in his work. He says it's a stretch to call Chainsaw a remake of 2001, of course, but I think there's a very strong argument that it's sort of an answer to Kubrick's film. None of the sequels, remakes pick up on this trend, which may explain why they haven't had, why they have had such so-so results. Yeah, even, I mean, maybe to, or I'll extend from what Nick's saying here, where uh, I don't even know if it's an answer to Kubrick's film, but I can definitely see that this was made by someone who would be a huge, huge fan of 2001 A Space Odyssey, who had a lot of hope in the hippie movement, who then, exactly like he said, went through a heavy depression and disillusionment when that wasn't working out. And I feel like that is what's captured so much in in the original film. 
is that that disillusionment. I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Any thoughts on that? I I find that very interesting because it kind of makes me just immediately think to myself, okay, is that something that we see in modern film? Do we see a director's uh kind of worldview or 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 just philosophy that's that's coming through or even just an opinion of uh, or less an opinion I'm trying to get at but more just like an emotional coming to terms with or just recognition yeah. of or uh expelling of feelings, you know? Yeah, like I I do there's a lot of movies that modern movies I guess that I've seen recently that that never quite feel like they they are imbued with what you're describing through the through the filmmaker they they feel i guess for lack of a better term they feel kind of like cardboard cutouts of how a movie's supposed to be so much nowadays have is just about duplicating or just sort of reminiscent you know i mean it's this trap we're caught in where it's like yeah it's 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 <laughs> things that are uh they're totally lacking substantive substantiveness you know any kind of depth of feeling it's sort of like the same thing what we right. see a lot of like humor in films these days that falls flat i don't know where it's or or like, or or being too like like too winky, I, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Where like nothing can be taken seriously. Like I don't know, I've I, mm. I see that I've sort of talked about it before, but this that's sort of a, a common thing in movies nowadays. It feels like is we're so I don't know, just all caught up in being afraid to be seen for emotional people who care a lot about things that we're just so quick to just sort of you know be be cynical and sort of cover that up and not be willing to to go there because I think it is a scary thing to try to share something that's so real and important to you and to then to have it not work artistically and fall flat. I mean, God, that's <laughs> that's yeah, a fun feeling. But it's yeah. also the only way you do ever get something that's important. So, yeah, the cynicism par- problem is is a big one. Yeah. I see it. So, so much. Um, but then you have movies like Robert Eggers' movies or Ari Aster's movies that, or, or Panos, um, Cosmatos movies, like they really feel like they are, they are drawing from a deep, deep emotional something, whatever that something is. Right. I feel like, oh man, I'm, I'm getting the filmmakers like, soul yep through this movie and then you have these this whole other thing that we experience with a lot of other movies that i just go okay well it looks pretty (laughs) right which is my saying to this one the gore looked good (laughs) like right so very interesting well i just wonder what the you know like what why that's happening is that happening because the people who are in control are stifling the director's vision. I think that does happen. I think like anything that's dysfunctional in our world today, it's very chicken and the egg. It's very, there's mm-hmm. this, yeah. this sort of <laughs> to reference the, mo- reference the monolith again. It's, it's a monolithic just sort of 
uh, personality to our culture that sort of yeah. is afraid to fail uh, with our heart on our sleeves, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, but uh, I, you, you referenced, I mean, at first I almost thought just Mandy, but also, you know what, The Lighthouse, all those films they get to sort of reference like what I set up earlier, what horror movies can do. They do that straight upward trajectory where by the end, we're just mm. off, we're into it. And I think the way Nick described it is kind of what I was getting at. The, the, the structure of the original Texas Chainsaw or something about it as well as 2001 is the the transformative pseudo psychedelic experience like that i think is pretty spot on and i can definitely see that overlap there well and isn't that the point too in a lot of ways of storytelling is is to move through this story and have a transformative experience mm-hmm. either for the characters or for the viewer or both like ideally both right ideally in a film like this we are just with that final girl as it is in a lot of these cases, you know? Yeah. Um, Hmm. Just some finishing thoughts from him more on Hooper just to wrap it up here. And this is a a recommendation from him. So maybe that's a way to transition to, but he says Hooper's semi autobiographical novel, midnight movie, um, which I, I looked into. It's kind of like about a filmmaker putting on, I think a screening or making a movie. And then it has a whole like a, a book that's a mockumentary. I don't know if we have a word for that, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I don't know. You know, where horror stuff goes down, but it's at the same time is very um, real life and semi autobiographical. Um, he says it's an overlooked text that offers a lot of insight into Hooper's character. The only other filmmaker who I think is as bitter about the 60s as Hooper is maybe Brian De Palma, but De Palma seems more willing to revel in the collapse of the dream, whereas Hooper was genuinely traumatized by it and spent his career dealing with that trauma. Again, which I think that's, you see that in Texas Chainsaw. It's a first kind of coming to terms with that almost, of expressing that Mm. that sorrow. But anyway, of course, the fallout from Poltergeist where he got thrown under the bus and received little credit for his work, only added insult to injury. That was Hooper's big chance to get his post-60s mojo back, just in time for the yuppie era. Instead, Spielberg, poster child of 80s cinema, got all the credit, so Hooper had Leatherface kill yuppies in Texas Chainsaw 2. Overall, Hooper's ouvoir is a mixed bag, but it's a fascinatingly mixed bag. The more you dig into his life in movies, the more everything makes sense. Texas Chainsaw is a miracle of a movie that shouldn't have been as good as it is, but it is that good, and Hooper was never quite able to repeat that magic trick. He's a great filmmaker regardless, even though that's his only great movie. I find his entire body of work sad and fun and rewarding. A good Texas boy. That's all that courtesy, my friend Nick. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. Yeah. So... With uh, Nick's recommendation of Midnight Movie there, I think we can transition to that and wrap up talking about everything Texas Texas Chainsaw Massacre. (laughs) We'll say the taxes. Uh, Taxes. All right. Um, Do you have a recommendation for us, Tim? Yes, I have one, folks. (laughs) Uh, Britt and I went to the theater and saw The King's Man. Ah, Tim! I'm jealous. I love those first two, and I haven't seen it, and I don't know why yet. Ugh, I, I'm just jealous. I, wait, great. I hope you... Well, you're recommending it, so it's good to hear it's good. I am good. recommending <laughs> it. It is, it is so freaking good. It, it's, it's doing 
I, you know, I guess, you know, partially this is a taste thing, I guess, whatever, but it's so successful at doing what makes the Kingsman, the first two Kingsman movies good and fun, but putting it into this context, this true historical context. And the way that those two things work together is, is goddamn incredible. It's so good. I like, I was astonished. I had zero expectations going in, but like Ray Fiennes is the lead and he is always amazing. So you kind of can't go wrong with him, but like the, the historical stuff and how they, they like inject him into these like moments of history and sort of weave this story around like historical factual stuff but also kind of the mythos of of how we look at those historical moments in <laughs> now in particular whether they're glorified or they're sort of like just become i guess these like tales uh that you don't really know what the truth is all of that is in the in this movie and it's just so fun and irreverent and exciting and like there's definitely gonna be a sequel that that is still taking place in this period i mean i hope so i always feel like the films uh i'm always amazed that they make a new one because it feels like they never do well enough box office wise so i hope you're right they keep making them we'll see i'm well both both hulu and hbo Today, I, I went and was just looking for something to watch and was like, oh, The King's Man is, is streaming now oh on my both God. those platforms. Well, I know what I'm doing tonight so, then. It's definitely worth seeing in the theater if you can, but it's so good. Just definitely watch it. What do you got? I will recommend Dead from director Takashi Shimizu, who directed the uh, Juwan film you reviewed. Okay. Um, I was just like, you know, trying to just kind of fill out, are there any other, you know, J-horror movies people are saying are good from kind of that era? So I was checking out what else he did. And I stumbled upon his film from 2005 called Reincarnation. And Hmm. I was just pleasantly surprised how solid and fun and just anything I'd want from a a J-horror movie by the guy who made Juan. Like, just did it all for me. Cool story about... um, a woman who gets a role in a horror film about a real life murder. And of course the ghosts, you know, figuratively, literally uh, are, are coming out of that and, (laughs) or are, are, are uh, affecting her experience. (laughs) That's cool. Yeah. I like that. So if you're uh, in the mood for some good J horror, you know, circa the aughts in that vein. Yeah. Check it out. Reincarnation. Nice. All right, and uh, looking at our calendar ahead, we saw that our next episode in two weeks would be falling on St. Patrick's Day, or as I like to call it, Leprechaun's Day. So we thought, (laughs) what better opportunity in the spirit of just continuing to see these years later reboots, requels, what better opportunity (laughs) to finally... Finally, I know Tip was so excited to see the new oh. Leprechaun film, Leprechaun Returns, from 2018. So 
<laughs> folks. Uh, it's a truly a dream, a dream of mine. <laughs> it is. No, I mean, it, my to- my friend uh, Andy and I, who kind of you know it inspired me to make this show. We'd watch horror movies together. He, we a, a a series we watched through was all the Leprechaun films. So I'm very excited <laughs> to see the new one here. Yeah, he he came on our show to talk about Event Horizon. He and I watched all the Leprechaun films. So oh, yeah. very excited yeah. to follow up with uh, the new Leprechaun. That's so funny. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I I watched the original, I don't know, four or five years ago, probably, something like that. And I have, I just, I don't even know what to think of it. It's it's not my thing, <laughs> I'll tell you that much. <laughs> well, you we, well, we watched the trailer for the, the new one, and I was like, Whoa, I, that actually kind of looks cool. I don't know. Let's check it yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. We aren't doing it just because of it, but it passed the trailer test for Tim. So that's why we're, yeah. we'll be coming at you. Great. Also, I think it's so funny that you, you know, you're right. These, these first three films of, of, for this year that we're doing are, you know, they're existing IP. They're like sequel, prequel, whatever you want to call them. Uh, prequel, re requel, sequel, requel, reboot, requel, sequel, prequels. Well, let's uh, or something let, to that effect. We'll perhaps be breaking the trend after Leprechaun returns. God, I hope. So. <laughs> what if that was all that we ever do again? I mean, at this rate, it feels like no, um, no, no. We just, yeah, I don't know. Whatever, we're doing. All no, we're there's doing. there's plenty out there for us to go explore that is not in that realm. And you have to wait one month to hear that episode, folks. That's right. But in the meantime, hey, we got a lot of other episodes out there. You can find us wherever you found us. We got socials, all that stuff. Our big ask, though, you tell a friend. Yeah, tell a friend. Tell a friend. Tell a like-minded friend. They're out there. Well. In closing, watch out what uh, small Texas towns you're gentrifying. Thanks for listening. That's right. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>